Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at schoolstatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, episode 160, and I'm your host, Nick Ortigo. This week, educators all across the country worry about heading back into the classroom and revised CDC guidelines emphasize reopening schools. But does it even matter? Stay with us. Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, how the pandemic left a Utah teacher missing school assemblies. So we decided to do something about it. We'll tell you what that is coming up. Hello, everybody. Nick Ortigo here. Today is July 24th, 2020, and I'm joined by my friend, principal, and co-host, Christina Pollard. Christina, how are you doing? Good morning. Ah, it's July 24th. Can you believe it? Yes. Yeah, so Half the year has gone by, and I can't tell you what I've done with my year. Well, and what, <laughs> is, what does that mean, July 24th, in, in your world? How far are you from your actual start date of school for your county? It means I'm one week away from teachers officially returning, and I am exactly two weeks away from students returning. And am I in panic mode? Am I in a frenzy? At moments, at other moments, I'm extremely calm because this is out of my hands. I can only do what I know to do or what I can figure out to do. But then, you know, a few moments later, I am like, oh, my God. <laughs> right. And you've received your marching orders, which is basically, you know, we're going to go to school, I guess, in the hybrid model for, for your district. And, yes. And, and it yes. varies from, I mean, where you and I actually live, our kids are scheduled to go back to school in a traditional face-to-face all week long method, right? Yes, every day. So here we are. Um, districts are trying to figure out what to do. I, I noticed, um, I think you sent me an article last night, San Diego and Los Angeles are both virtual, at least at the start. Mm-hmm. And it looks like um, the largest county over in Georgia, which is Gwinnett County Public Schools. And we know the the governor's position in Georgia. He's very, you know, <laughs> very vocal. Yeah. And very much let's get back to business. But here, this largest district is saying it's going to actually, um, at first, they were going to do the hybrid and now they're saying virtual learning only. So I guess my question mm-hmm. for you is here we are uh, you know I think we all knew this day was coming but I don't think we anticipated that cases would be spiking simultaneously especially here in the south. And and I guess the question is No, it is astronomical numbers. Yeah, it, it really is. And so so why not delay 2 weeks a month I mean to use a football analogy punt the ball. I mean wh- what difference if we start in September and finish in June rather than start in August and finish in May? I'm going to give you the administrative response because it is very different than what you might feel as an individual, as a parent, as an educator. There are so many entities that have to be ironed out when it comes to payroll. Um, administrative leave is no longer approved. So when you delay, what's the plan for paying those hourly employees who will not earn any money at all? Okay. Then you have Betsy Devos threatening to take funding from public schools if they don't start back, if they don't go traditional, they're even threatening if you go partial. 
Um, then you're concerned in our state, Nick, our governor hasn't even approved the education fund. So districts haven't even received their budgets. So with that being said, we're not ready. We're not ready for learning management systems for 100% virtual. We're not ready with PPE and supplies. I'm extremely concerned about the number of parents who are so concerned and requesting 100% virtual for their children, which requires a different set of skills for teachers. And our teachers who love what they do, clearly, because they don't make any money, they love what they do, they have grave concerns about being prepared to provide face-to-face and virtual and have it all down to a science like they're a master teacher. Well, and, and yeah, and earlier I said that, you know, where we live, our our children's schools are going to the traditional method, but they do, I, I, I want to clarify, they do actually allow parents to choose the virtual path. What I haven't really pushed on, because we're not going to go the virtual path, we are going to try to send um, our 15-year-old to uh, school, but like... Yes, yeah, so we're parent- sending our 16-year-old. And, and so can parents switch back and forth because that could be a major headache for districts and i think some parents are like oh we'll start virtual and then we'll send them once things exactly is that even an option so so districts have to have a policy in place and i actually don't know the policy for our local school district for the school district that i serve in we've put a policy in place that if you select virtual for the opening of the year you cannot switch until midterm midterm so like december basically standards being taught standards being mastered and then standards being assessed. And if you choose to go virtual for three weeks and then show up, let's be realistic. You have not received the tank, the same type of instruction as the children who have been in class face to face. So you need to have some type of cutting point to allow these transitions to occur. And we originally discussed it being at the end of each term, but nine weeks is a really long time. So we did say, okay, once we calculate grades for Um, progress report for term one, then we'll open it up for students who wish to return. But then my question, which I didn't exactly get an answer to, or maybe I didn't hear the answer, but what do we do about the second half of the term when they do return from virtual learning? Do we give them makeup work? Do we, um, how do you give them equal credit for this, for the work that the students did face to face? And so one of the biggest discussions across our nation about this whole reopening schools amidst the pandemic is equity in education. And we need a whole episode on that. Right. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. And and I don't know that anyone has a magic wand to fix that. And this only magnifies the problem, as we talked about in the episode last week with our guest, you know, special ed has been. That in itself is is an episode by itself. And you're right. And we talked about that last week. But there are even more um, inequities that we need to talk about. And I'm just going to give you one broad one just to mull over. Um, Families who can afford to keep their children at home, i.e. mom doesn't work, they have internet, they have lots of devices, they come from a two-parent educated background. They can afford not just financially, but emotionally, you know, all of the above to keep their children home and provide them with virtual instruction. Children of poverty don't have that option to take off special education, to take off English as a second language. Children of poverty don't have those options. So how are we going to make sure that the gap doesn't widen even further? They have the same fears of not returning their children back to the public school and to the classroom, but yet they're not equipped 
to provide them with appropriate instruction at home. That is the one thing, Nick, that drives me to just keep going, even though I have my reserved feelings about this whole situation. Right. You want to provide that place, that place of learning for those kids, right? And the hot meals. It's so much more involved. Right. Yeah, no, I I get it. And and so let me ask you this. How are, and you can speak based off of what you've seen online, or you can speak based off of what you personally know, but how are the teachers doing now that like this is a reality, they're two weeks or, or a week from even reporting back to school? How are they hanging in there? I think there's levels to their anxiety. I have some who are, you know, like they are every year. We get that excitement, that that butterfly feeling in our belly, getting our classrooms ready. And, you know, what is my theme going to be this year? And then trying to figure out what, how will I have all of this engagement and excitement if the majority of my students are virtual? That's one part of, uh, you know, a set of my teachers. Another set of teachers, especially reading from them um, on Twitter, is they are in a straight frenzy. They are sick to their stomach. They don't want to go back. They're terrified that they're going to get sick. They're terrified that their children are going to get sick. They're terrified they're going to bring the virus home to their family members, whether they're vulnerable, elderly or not. They are concerned. And I think one of the things that causes such great anxiety is when you see on the news that the Republican convention has been canceled um, in Florida because of COVID, but you're sending millions of children to school. Yeah. And and saying that, uh, you make that point. And I noticed that the CDC yesterday actually revised Mm -hmm. their guidelines. And and in short, they are very pro. We need to get back into the classroom. Um, But they revised their guidelines and like a 180. So then it makes me wonder, is that political? Are they trying to stay alive in the government's eyes? Yeah, no. And and so it it does. I guess what I was going to say was, does it even matter? Because it does feel so political and i i think yeah. districts are just going to continue to to move forward with what they do it's like so you take these some districts uh where are they are trying to return to the trad- traditional model i can't imagine class sizes being under 30 or at least around that mark at well that, i think that, that they've taken measures to use every employee that they have differently um your activity and your special classes are going to look very different um, they're going to be utilized in a different way. I actually had conversations with several of my elective teachers just this week. And I said, I don't know how much choir you're going to get in. I don't know how much art you're going to teach. I really don't know how much PE you'll get in, but I'm going to train you to hold small group, you know, for small group instruction in reading. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, they're, they're, I think that they're just utilizing every employee um, and creative and innovative ways to try to reduce the number of children in class. But when you think about the school, our boys go to, um, what is it? 1500, 1600 kids. Right. Where are they going to put them? Because if you go look at the campus, um, ninth grade is already sequestered out on the West over there. Um, because the school grew so quickly, they have their own little area. And I'm just trying to think of how they're going to spread out or what they're going to do. But the difference that I will say, high school students, can put their mask on, keep their mask on, you know, right. handle social distance if they want to use good sense. I'm more concerned about K-8. Right. I mean, right. it's just school is a safe and loving and nurturing place for children. We can't hug them. We can't touch them. They've missed their friends for five months. They can't hug. Well, so I feel like a lot of energy is going to go towards keep moving, no no stopping, don't touch. That's just insane versus 
Welcome back. I've missed you so much. Give me a hug. How have you been? You've grown, measuring their height, just all the wonderful things that, you know, I, I think about that happens every August for us as educators. It's going to be tough, um, no doubt. And I mean, are you to the point where you guys are like building rosters? Are you kind of where you know that being on the hybrid model, how large a class is yet? Yes. So we haven't released it to our parents yet because I just believe in fine tuning every detail before you release a lot of that new information. But I will tell you that we're looking at A through L for group A, M through Z for group B. And of course, group A will attend school on Monday and Tuesday. Group B will attend school on Thursday and Friday. And then we are reserving Wednesday as a third day of instruction for students with IEPs and students on tier three for interventions. We just don't think two days of instruction is enough for those struggling learners. Um, And so with that being said, um, normally our class sizes are around 27 or 28. So we are looking at half that number. And then within that um, 50%, we're trying to calculate the percentage of students who have requested virtual. And it's a lot, Nick. It is a lot. So then that worries me about teacher units. Will teacher units be cut? Will teachers lose their jobs as we're still waiting on our governor? Um, to approve the education fund. And I think that's what's driving a lot of school districts to try to go back traditional is you don't want to hurt your community any further by losing teacher units because your student numbers. Well, okay. So that still is in play, I guess. And I know Mississippi also puts a lot of emphasis on funding tied to attendance. Is that still a a factor for this? Absolutely. It is the state department released Um, its views on ADA just the other day. And you won't believe we are required to take attendance for face-to-face and we have to document and log and submit attendance for virtual learning. And and I get the idea of of taking it for research sake, you know, like how many kids actually showed up and so forth. But to tie funding to attendance during this time feels, I don't know, like like throwing another hurdle in front of you guys. I'm telling you, we just don't know. There's so many things that we've got to figure out in the next 10 days. And that is what keeps me up, you know, thinking, trying to figure things out. But at the same time, you turn around and you say, we're just going to do what we can. We're going to do what's best for kids. And we're going to beg our parents to be flexible, to be understanding, and in turn themselves be loving towards us because there's not an educator on this earth who's done this before. At the end of the day, you're a leader um, of a large group of educators. What's your message to them and to any other educator that's listening as we go into this uncertain time? Love your students. Do what's best and what's right for others and give them 150% as we do every year. This year, our theme at our school is building bridges. Failure is not an option. Building bridges mean we've got to strengthen our connections to our parents, to our students, to our community. And no matter that we're in a pandemic, that this is weird, that we don't know what we're doing, failure is not an option. We will serve our kids 150% and we will give them the best high quality instruction we can provide, whether it's face-to-face or virtual. Uh, I think we just need to end it right there. Christina, I really appreciate your time today. (laughs) Thank you. Are you ready for the bright idea? Always. All right. Our guest in today's Bright Ideas segment wanted to do something uplifting during the pandemic. So beginning back in April, elementary school teacher Tyler Christensen began interviewing familiar faces and posting their messages of encouragement on YouTube. Altogether, Tyler has interviewed almost 150 people and their messages of hope, 
is actually meant to inspire students and teachers alike. Tyler, welcome to Class Dismissed. Thank you. My pleasure to be here. This is so cool. You are, are essentially building what's almost like where kids would sit in a school assembly. You're finding these people that would typically show up for a school assembly and then putting it on YouTube. Is that right? That's exactly right. This is a resource I've wanted for years as a teacher um, to have kind of the, those uplifting messages, almost like TED Talks, but for kids. Um, and yeah, so we're just doing these short mini assemblies and, and throwing them up on YouTube. And you actually have a name for it. What do you all call it? It's the virtual school assembly. Is that right? That's correct. Yep. Let's talk about this idea because I guess this this started uh, probably organically for you because um, you were doing these assemblies up until the pandemic. And let's kind of tell that backstory a little bit. Yeah. So this is a new thing for me. Um, I've been in education for a long time, but most of that was as a professor. So only in the last few years has I been an elementary school teacher. We moved across the country and, and made some changes. And, and I found myself in the elementary classroom. And um, so I've, I've spoken at conferences and things like that, but not really doing assemblies for kids until just um, a little over a year ago, I lost a ton of weight. I lost over 100 pounds in a year and I started uh, doing some marathons and then I did a, a 52 mile ultra marathon. Um, so a double marathon, marathon back to back and started going to schools. I was invited to share kind of my, my weight loss journey, but but even more than that, the impact that exercise has had on me as a teacher and how we're incorporating more movement into my classroom. So I, I do some professional development in that area, and then I've been doing high school assemblies. And so I was doing that right up into the pandemic. And of course, as a, as a teacher, I don't have a lot of time to go to other schools for assemblies and things like that. And so I had jam-packed my spring break where I was doing five different um, school assemblies and then flying to San Francisco to give a TED Talk on the role of exercise in learning and the impact that exercise can have on learning. So I was scheduled to do all that, and that was uh, scheduled for March 13th, which was the day that everything shut down for <laughs> most schools, and that included my wow. TED Talk. So that week when I had all these different things scheduled, half of them got canceled, including the TED Talk, and so I went from being an assembly speaker to being a little depressed that I couldn't share my message to thinking, how can I get other assembly speakers back in the classroom? Well, and before we dive too much into the virtual school assemblies, I mean, your message is amazing. Like, I mean, can you briefly tell us like, how did you go about, you know, starting this running and then ultimately losing, uh, you said 100 pounds, over 100 pounds? That's unreal. Yeah, yeah. So I, I've actually always been a runner. I've always been relatively active, but like many adults, even most adults, um, the pounds just crept on year after year. I put on five pounds here, 10 pounds there. And, um, it got to the point where I was over 300 pounds. I was morbidly obese, but even at that, I was eating pretty healthy. I was relatively active. I even ran a marathon at 280 pounds mm -hmm. and, and so I'd done all those things, but I just couldn't seem to take a, any of the weight off uh, until my wife pulled me aside and kind of had this intervention. And she, you know, with tears in her eyes, expressed her, her fear that I was heading down a path where I would die prematurely and leave her alone with our four kids. And, and it was kind of that wake up call that I needed to say, okay, let's put a plan in place and let's lose the weight. And, and for me, it wasn't the exercise. I, I did do more running, um, but losing the weight was all about tweaks to my diet. I changed a lot of things over a period of several months. 
And a lot of those things didn't work. And so I, just like most people, I gained a few pounds here. I lost a few pounds there until I started, you know, documenting and figuring out what actually worked. And so, um, as I did that and started eating healthier and cleaner, then the weight started coming off. And it just coincided with summer vacation where I did have more time to exercise. And so by that point, I'd have my diet in order. I started exercising and that's when the weight really started coming off. That was two summers ago. Uh, and from that point forward, I, I lost a ton of weight. I got back into running at a more competitive level. And yeah, so that was my story. But the exciting part of that story was as I started being healthier and then bringing that into the classroom, I started dancing with my students after math every day. We started right. doing push-ups and jumping jack contests regularly. And I would break up my day and we would do different micro movements throughout the day. And I was really nervous about doing that because we're at a really high uh, academic achieving school. And I, I was nervous about um, giving up any curriculum time. But what I found is my students were more alert. As a result, they had better focus and, and test scores went up dramatically. So as we started playing more games and doing more exercise in the classroom, my students started doing a lot better. Uh, and so that's where I started speaking more and, and going around to schools was to share that message that if we incorporate more exercise into our daily routine, we're actually going to do way better at learning. That's really cool. Did your class or did you have a class that watched your physical transformation, so to speak? Or was it like you went away for the summer and you came back and you had lost all this weight? Yeah. No, um, so both. Uh, I did leave over the summer. And over that summer, I lost uh, between 40 and 50 pounds. And it was noticeable. When I got back that that year, um, you know, other teachers commented on it. My students certainly noticed they were in the next grade, but they would come to say hi and and they noticed it. And then during that next school year, so this past school year, my students saw as I continued to lose the weight. Um, and then, you know, so really it's been a two-year journey for me. And, and this last year, I actually put on 30 pounds, uh, but it was 30 pounds of muscle. So I kind of did that rebound where you put the weight back on, but for me, it was all healthy weight. And so I'm actually even healthier now after having lost the weight. That's really good. Well, congrats on all that. So, that, so then you decide, all right, everything's shutting down. I can't spread my message in person. Um, and you came up with this idea of the, the virtual school assemblies. And so you started interviewing people and, and you seem to be really ambitious about this. Like, are you trying to interview somebody? Is it once a week or every few days? How often? <laughs> well, so when it started during that pandemic, I got the idea almost right away. Once we got sent to teach from home, I was frustrated, you know, and I'm trying to support my students um, in their learning from home. And then my own children, I'm helping them with their learning from home. A and we just needed a break. We needed an escape. And I thought, man, normally in schools, we go to assemblies for this kind of stuff when we need mm -hmm. kind of a break from the week. And so that's where the idea came from. And so I reached out uh, right away to, a, I, fortunately, I know a few really cool people. So I have a few friends in Hollywood, a few professional athletes. And I, I asked them, hey, would you do a quick message uh, to share with my students? And we'll put it on YouTube so other students can hear it. And they were gung-ho about the idea. And it just gathered steam. So at the beginning, I started with a few episodes ready to go. And we just started doing them every day. So I had an episode every day till school let out. And that's why there's already 50 episodes up on the channel. Um, wow. It's because we literally went every day from there to the end. And the way I made that happen is I, I did all my teaching from 4 to 8 a.m. 
Then I helped my own children at home for the rest of the morning. And then I was done with my work for the day. So during the afternoons, that's when I would do outreach and connect with people and start recording these episodes. So I got to hand it to you because I mean, I, I deal in the business of getting people to do interviews. And, and it's not like you just ask somebody and they're like, right there, ready to do it. No, there's normally a thread of emails back and forth. And hey, would you be interested in doing this? Here's what we're about. And then you got to find a time and line it up. And so it takes there's a lot of yeah. work on the back end that no one ever sees. I mean, so the fact that you've gotten this many interviews and shut up such a short period of time, kudos to you. Now, tell us like which interview has kind of been your favorite, maybe stood out, um, maybe a, a familiar face that people at home may know. Um, well, so those are different things. Actually, my favorite episode is someone that no one would know. Um, it's someone I reconnected. It's actually a little brother of one of my friends from high school. And I connected with him because I heard his story uh, secondhand. And so I reached out to him to see if he would share it. And it's the longest episode. Most of our episodes are 20 to 30 minutes. His is almost an hour. Um, but he just talked about how um, pretty much everything that can go wrong in life happened to this kid. Um, he, he was a, a young dentist and he had problems with starting his own practice and looking at financial setbacks. And then as a family, they struggled with having kids and dealing with miscarriages. And then as all those things started to come together and improve in his life, his house burned down. And it's just this crazy story, but I loved having him tell it. And I didn't cut him off. I let him go the full hour because... He, he's just such a happy and optimistic person. And he talked about what a blessing it was that the house burned down because it changed things in their life or maybe the stress level or they had nothing to lose at that point. That's when they started getting pregnant. So after this big fire, they finally got pregnant and were able to have children. And it's just such a cool story. Um, and so that was my favorite. But we have had some big names. Um, over the summer, I, I interviewed... Sorry, before you give those, what what was his name? Because I'm just curious if somebody wants to look him up. Oh, sorry. Benji. Yeah, it's Benji Hadfield. So if you look on the channel, you'll find that um, it's, yeah, on the popular uploads, Benji Hadfield. It was a great episode. Great. Okay. And so and you were saying that um, there, you actually had some people who were maybe more familiar that you interviewed? Oh, yeah, tons. So we've had um, probably 40 or 50 people now that are, are recognizable Hollywood actors and actresses, directors. Um, just in the last few weeks, I, I interviewed Ross Katz, who's an Academy Award uh, nominee for In the Bedroom and Lost in Translation. He produced those movies. Um, we had Jamie Sally, who was a gold medal winner in the 2002 Olympics. So I'm familiar with her here in Utah. She was kind of a hero during that time. But we've had like 10 other Olympians, including a few other gold medal winners, um, professional athletes in, in a bunch of different sports, uh, about 10 people from the NFL, several from the NBA. Um, my favorite of those was uh, a former NFL player, uh, Mark Pattison, who has his own podcast, he is a, a former receiver in the NFL, and now his goal is to to scale the seven summits, like the seven highest mountains yeah, in, in right. the world. He's done six wow. of them and was set to do the seventh one this spring, and then COVID hit and it got canceled. So his story is really cool. And, and so what's the the reception been? I mean, like I guess people have been willing to, to hop on and do this, clearly. Yeah, so it's funny. The reception has actually been greater on the interview side. So I have to turn away people all the time now, especially new speakers, people who want to have a platform to share their message. Um, I have a lot of people now reaching out to me to get on the channel. 
Um, but even with celebrities and things like that, because I kind of had a, a system and a process for lining up these interviews, it was a well-oiled machine here by the end of the summer. And so this is my last week of interviews this week. I have about 15 lined up on two days and I, I'm turning away people like even famous people right now, just because I, I don't have the time anymore. So, uh, it's been cool to see how people want to get on on the flip side of that, like the the view count is still relatively low on the channel because we're not in school uh, and I haven't done a great job of marketing and publicizing it. And so hopefully that will change. We're, we're starting to get in the news and in the media. And, uh, you know, here I am on on your podcast. So hopefully that will help. So teachers know that this is available. Parents and, and students know it's there. But um, yeah, it's been cool, you know, to, to have to turn away amazing people that have great stories just because there's already so much good stuff here. We have enough content already for the next school year. We'll do two episodes a week, and we're, we're already done for the whole year. You do really have some great content out there. If somebody wants to find the channel, I mean, what's the easiest way to search for it or find it? Well, so if you just go to YouTube and search Virtual School Assembly, it'll be there. Um, we do have a website. I don't have much on there yet. I just haven't had time to develop it. But you can go to virtualschoolassembly.com. Um, and that will give you more information about the guests and their bios and stuff. But that's kind of a work in progress. So if you just want to watch them, go to YouTube. Has there been a, an overarching theme in terms of the message? Yeah, this is something that I've... So I've never done an interview show as a host. And so it's been a bit of a learning curve for me. And in the beginning, I was just trying to get anyone I could. And so there was a lot of just um, motivational type stuff, get you pumped up. But as I got better as a host and as I started being more strategic about who I invited onto the show, we really looked at things that had to do with mental health, dealing with anxiety, depression, being stuck at home, social isolation. So I wanted a lot of people to address those kinds of issues, physical health, how to, you know, keep moving from home, the stuff that I'm passionate about now as an athlete. I looked and that's why there's so many professional athletes on the show is we wanted to talk about health and diet and things like that. Um, and then there's a lot of people, especially um, the Hollywood people who talk about how to develop a new skill, how to get going on YouTube, how to start your own podcast, those kinds of things where we're stuck at home, we're in quarantine. Let's use that time to learn some magic tricks or to write a book or, you know, those kinds of things. And so that's really where the focus has been on how how do we develop new skills and then how do we take care of our bodies right now where we're in this crazy, uncertain world. Um, that's what I've tried to to focus on. Now, being in the middle of Black Lives Matter and some of the other movements happening right now, that, of course, has crept into a lot of the conversations. We've talked about uh, understanding other cultures and equality and, and being a good listener and things like that. But that's more uh, a product of the times than something that I, I've really sought out. Uh, you and I were talking offline before uh, we pressed record and um, you're in Utah and you said that you, you guys are getting ready to go back to school uh, kind of on a, a full-time basis, not a hybrid model. Or, or And I don't even know if you guys are offering virtual. Is that right? Right. There are a lot of virtual offerings. And so my understanding is most schools are offering either a few teachers that are teaching uh, the students who don't want to come back but want to stay in that school district. Um there are virtual offerings, but most schools right now are planning on going back um, traditional um, and seeing how it works. Now, uh, most of us teachers are skeptical and scared to death, quite frankly. I, I don't want to go full back at, 
at, at this time. As much as I miss my students, I, I have a six-year-old with asthma and I'm so terrified of getting sick and bringing that home to her. And so, you know, I'm hopeful that the numbers right now are saying we shouldn't go back, um, but that's a political decision and we'll see what happens. Yeah, no, I, we certainly talk all about that a lot on this show. And, um, you know, our, our thoughts and prayers are, are with all of you guys as you head back um, into the classroom. Um, Tyler, this uh, work that you've been doing, I mean, kudos to you. I love your drive and determination. And you can see, I, I guess, you know, it must be built into you because anybody who runs like you do, I mean, ultra marathons, j- just for anybody who doesn't know, like, what's the longest marathon that you ran? So my longest was the double marathon. So 52.4 miles. Um, gotcha. And it was brutal. I don't know if I'll do that again. It beat up my feet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, b- before we wrap, I mean, tell me, what's it like to run 52 miles? Like, do you bring a cell phone with you? Like, do you take phone calls while you're doing it? Or are you just like in the zone, listen to music? Like, how do you get through that much running? Yeah, well, so the the distance running community is a cool one because the, it's so supportive. You know, it's not about being first place. It's about finishing the race when you get to the ultra level. And so um, my plan was I didn't know anyone in that particular race. So my plan was simply to run and, and do my best. And I love to listen to podcasts like yours and and books on tape. And so I had my phone ready and um, I had a battery pack so I could charge it throughout. I have I carried a backpack on my run so I could charge my batteries. And and that was the plan. But then, of course, because of the community, as I started running, I, the, the first leg of the run, I ran with a guy that was just chilling. He, and my son was running with me. And we were just having a fun time chatting. And he ran the first five or so miles with me. And that was the guy that ended up winning the race. But he was just helping oh out goodness. a newbie, telling me about the course and, and just taking it easy. So I did that. And then I connected with other people during the run. I, I, there was one guy that we had connections. I did my doctorate in Indiana and he had gone to IU as well. And we had common friends. And so he had flown out from DC for this race and, and we connected and I ended up running with him for six or seven hours. So we, you know, got to know each other pretty well as we ran and it was an all night long race. We started at 7 PM and I finished at like 10 the next morning. Uh, and so it was just chatting with a lot of people and, I'm not a social runner, but I, you know, for that run, it was great to be distracted and to have people to chat with. Well, it's such an inspirational story uh, you have in multiple levels, Tyler. Um, we appreciate you bringing it to the Class Dismissed podcast. Again, um, if somebody wants to catch up with what he's working on, it's called Virtual School Assembly. A lot of great content out there um, for anybody that wants to kind of just hear inspirational messages from uh, familiar faces from around the country and the world. Uh, Tyler, are you ready for our pop quiz? Yeah, bring it on. All right. First question. If students could go to school for only one subject, which subject should it be? Uh, Reading. I I believe literacy is the foundation of everything. If you're a better reader, you're going to do better in all your other subject areas. But also that's the subject area that's really going to enrich your life in the long term. So if you learn to love literature uh, and become a great reader, it's going to serve you well the rest of your life. What are we not teaching in school that we should be teaching? Financial literacy. Um, Kids need to know how to manage money, how to prepare for the future. We should be spending a lot more time talking about money. What does every child deserve? Uh, A loving home. What's the biggest challenge for today's educators? Uh, Tradition and the culture of education that we've done the same things the same ways for too long and we get stuck in a rut. What's the best gift to give an educator? 
that's hard because right now we're social distancing. I'd say a hug, but you can't really do that right now. Um, appreciation. Every educator wants to feel appreciated. So writing a note or something like that. Which teacher changed your life? I actually had a, a professor in college that um, taught a marriage and, and family class. And I ended up working for him. I was his secretary. His name was Matt Richardson. And I learned from him in the classroom and I learned even more um, at working for him and seeing the way that he prepared to teach. But I learned the most when he would invite me into his home to see what he was actually doing. So he showed me the implementation of how to have a happy home. And, you know, normally we don't think of marriage and family as a class that's really important, uh, especially when it comes to careers and making money. Uh, but I'm so grateful I took that class in college and saw uh, such an awesome example of how to have a, a loving household. I like that. And last question, pen or pencil? Uh, pen, I, I make mistakes and I like to erase it, but I can't handle pencil because I'm a southpaw. So if I draw with a pencil, I'm going to have um, lead all over the side of my hand because I drag across it as I write. So um, I stick to pen. Again, Tyler Christensen uh, with Virtual School Assembly. Keep up the great work, and thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. My pleasure. That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. If you want to send us an idea or comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com or tweet us at classdismiss. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So please subscribe to the show. And we'd also appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. On behalf of all the good people working at School Status and Christina, representing all those educators out there, thank you for listening. I'm Nick Ortigo, and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed. <laughs>